Lord, this morning. God is good. Put a song of praise in this heart of mine. Good to see everybody here this morning. God bless you. This is the year of what? This is the year of stewardship. What is stewardship? What is stewardship? You know what stewardship is? Stewardship is wisdom. Stewardship is wisdom. Wisdom is first and foremost the ability to discern the truth. To see the true nature of things. And it is secondly the ability to know what to do with that knowledge. It is the discernment of knowledge and it is the application of knowledge. Wisdom knows what is true and what is right, what is significant and what is insignificant. And secondly, it knows what to do with that knowledge. Individuals who are wise often see the significance of small things. They see the value of things that other people would pass right over, step right over. Look at it. Other people might not even look at it twice, but a wise man will look at it and say, whoa, whoa, wait, no, 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 no. There's something here that we're missing. And that power of stewardship is the power of wisdom. It is the power to know what to do, to know what is right, to discern reality. And this morning, God wants to speak to us about wisdom and about the ability to understand the significance of small things. How many know that wisdom is better than size any day. Wisdom is better than money any day. Wisdom is supreme. And so the author of Proverbs, the, Sol- the Proverbs of Solomon say, get wisdom at any cost. If it costs you all you have, get it. Buy the truth and don't sell it. If you have a choice between wisdom and silver and gold, take the wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you'd speak to us, that you'd open our eyes, and that you'd cause us to see the things that we think are insignificant but are significant. I pray that you would increase our stewardship and increase our faith in the power of our stewardship. I pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24 through 28. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Four things on earth are small, but they're not small in their own eyes. They are extremely wise, and they understand wisdom to be that which triumphs over their size. You say, I'm small. Yes, but I'm wise. You ever seen a scrappy basketball player? You know what I'm talking about, that point guard who's super scrappy? He's the smallest person in the NBA. I haven't watched basketball in so long, but I remember Spud Webb. You all remember Spud Webb? Man, he was little, but he was scrappy. He didn't, he, he didn't allow his size to be an impediment. He could play with the biggest guys out there. Why? Because he had wisdom on the basketball court. These four things are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home, home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. Wisdom makes up for size any day. 
Wisdom turns something which is seemingly insignificant into something which has great significance. Wisdom sees something that seems to be small and unimportant and turns it into something that is of great importance. And first and foremost, wisdom recognizes the greatness of God and understands that a great God never gives anything that is insignificant. Pastor Daniels came to our office on Friday and talked to our staff a little bit on Friday afternoon. And he mentioned, he said, you know, Solomon gave a city to the king of Tyre. And when the king of Tyre came and looked at the city, he said, what'd you give me this worthless city for? And it said, and that city is worthless to this day. Why? Because the king of Tyre called it worthless. Some of the stuff in your life is worthless because you've called it worthless and you don't understand the power of your decree. If, this, if you're going to find significance in the things that God has put in your life, you have to change the way you talk about them. The king of Tyre should have said, wait a minute, Solomon is the greatest king in the world, and he doesn't give away any junk. And so if he gives me a city, there's value in that city. Even if I don't see it, I'm going to search till I find the value in that city. And embedded into the teaching of the kingdom of God is the understanding of wisdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds. Matter of fact, if you got some mustard seeds on you, if they fell on you, get this stuff off of me. Wash my hands. This nasty dirt. Stuff that you might just wipe off. He said, get this mess off of me. Somebody with wisdom say, wait, 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 wait. Don't throw that away. That's a mustard seed. Oh, what? Grow mustard? Not interested in growing no mustard. He said, no, 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 no. Give me that seed. Somebody with wisdom who has the wisdom to steward it. Jesus said, it's the smallest of all seeds, but when stewarded, what he said was when it grows. But in order for it to grow, somebody has to steward it. Number one, somebody must recognize the value in that seed. And they must cultivate soil within which that seed can grow. And they must sow it in the earth and water it and water it and water it. And somebody's got to believe in that seed. And steward it. And when that seed is stewarded, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Somebody comes and says, man, look at this beautiful plant you've grown. Where did it come from? Remember those pesky seeds that you were wiping off of your shirt and, and taking your clothes in to get dry cleaned and washing off of your hands? You thought it was not only insignificant, but it was pesky. It was in your way. It was an irritation. Well, I saw the value in it and I stewarded it. Listen, there's some things in your life right now that are irritating you. Things that you think are pesky and getting on your nerves and things that you th- wish you could be rid of, but God says, those are the mustard seeds that I placed in your life. And I expect you to steward them. And if you would open your eyes and see the value in those pesky little things, there's treasure in them. There's treasure. You hearing me this morning. Wisdom is the ability to see the significance of the small stuff. Look at your neighbor and say, don't sweat the small stuff. In Zechariah chapter four, The prophet Zechariah is speaking to the people of Israel and they're building this post-exilic temple. And it looks like nothing to the people who are around to see Solomon's temple. And as the temple is being built, the people are weeping because they're seeing... 
the relative smallness in comparison with the greatness of Solomon's temple. And the prophet Zechariah speaks up and encourages them and says, don't despise the day of small things in Zechariah 4.10. Don't despise the day of small things. Matter of fact, the prophet Haggai speaking around the same time said, the glory of this latter house is going to be greater than that of the former house. It was the latter temple that saw Jesus Christ being born and dedicated. It was the latter temple that post-exilic temple that Jesus Christ walked in and, and Simeon was there and Anna was there to see the Messiah being born. It, that glory of that latter house was greater than the glory of the first house. See, Solomon walked in the first house, but Jesus walked in the last house. Are you hearing me today? And sometimes the thing that you think is small and insignificant, the thing that you think is less than what you expected, less than what you thought you were going to have, or less than what you had before is the very thing that Jesus Christ says, I'm going to dwell in that thing. I'm going to walk in that thing. I'm going to make my glory known in that thing. And it's what, what comes through it is often greater than what came through the thing before. Are you hearing me this morning? God has some great things that he wants to release, but it starts with us recognizing the value of small things. The kingdom of heaven is hidden in the small stuff. In Matthew 13, Jesus gave two parables. First, the parable of, um, First, the parable of the mustard seed, but then the parable of the yeast. He said in Matthew 13, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Just a small amount of yeast, little amount of yeast seems insignificant, but it works its way into a large amount of dough. All it takes is a little bit of the, of the power of the kingdom, just a little bit. Understanding the power of just something simple that God would speak to you. You know, I, I realized one of the things the Lord was speaking to me in this, this, this new year is one of the instructions the Lord gave me is don't distinguish between low-level and high-level revelation. You know, a lot of times we judge between words from the Lord and what we don't realize is we're judging God. Don't distinguish between high level. What I realize is a lot of times somebody's sharing with me revelation and I, I unconsciously judge it as low-level. You know, somebody might say, yeah, the Lord showed me that he loves me. And we go, oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah that's <laughs> kindergarten, you know, yeah. <laughs> the Lord showed me he's going to provide for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great, yeah. Somebody decided, yeah, the Lord showed me this, and they show me something in Scripture, and I go, oh, that's nice. That's cute. <laughs> that's cute. What I just did was I made a distinction between low-level and high-level revelation, and then some high-level revelation comes, something complex and complicated and, you know, something, you know, that the Lord brings out that's just this huge, big old revelation. God says, no, 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 no. The low-level revelation is just as powerful as the high-level revelation. Matter of fact, there's no such thing as a distinction between the two. There's only revelation. Because when God speaks, even if it's the smallest word, I mean, even if the Lord speaks and says, hi. <laughs> there's nothing powerful about the word high but when it comes from the mouth of God it has the power to change your life I mean the smallest thing this, and that's why even the newest believer that you know if God speaks to them that word has the power to change your life I'm talking about the weakest believer the, the, the most hypocritical believer even I'm talking about the most lukewarm hypocritical believer who still goes to the club on Friday night, if they come home from the club half drunk and open their Bible, God can still speak something to them. 
Are you hearing me? Are you hearing? I mean, God, God can speak. God can, God will speak to anyone who is listening to him. God will speak to anyone who will open their heart. And if, if you and I would just open our ears and just say, Man, what, the, what did the Lord say? He said, the Lord showed me that he loves me. Oh, man, that can just say, wow, I just needed to be reminded today that the Lord loves me. You know, the great theologian Karl Barth was asked, he was the greatest theologian of the 20th century. And somebody asked him, what is the greatest theological truth? And they expected him to come out with something complicated, you know, like his dialectical theology or, you know, some of these things that, you know, even he didn't understand. You know, these theologians writing stuff that even they don't understand. You know what I'm talking about? And, uh, (laughs) yeah, you know, and you know what he said? He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is the greatest theological truth. That's the most powerful thing. Sometimes we don't recognize the value of the small stuff. And because we don't recognize the value of the small stuff, we don't glean anything from it. We just let it sit on the table. We don't take anything from it. It's just, and what happens is, We don't recognize the significance of a time of abundance. It is in the time of abundance that we begin to treat the thing that we have in abundance with contempt. So Solomon says, ants are creatures with little strength. They're small, relatively insignificant. When you see them, you just want to spray them with raid. But it says, yet they gather their provision during summer. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Here's the key. They store up their food in the summer, meaning they don't see abundance as an excuse for apathy. Think about it. I mean, in the summer, folks are having picnics. You know, and there's food everywhere. I mean, people are, you know, ants, they have a field day in the summer. There's food everywhere. Stuff falling, garbage cans overwhelmed. Ants are, you know, they're packing up food like crazy in the summer, but they don't see abundance as an excuse for apathy because they know we're not always going to have this abundance. So what we need to do is use this season of abundance as a time to store away. So that when the winter comes, there'll be no distinction between our winter and our summer because we've stored away enough during the summer to keep us all the way through the winter so that there's abundance year round. Now, that was the wisdom that Joseph had, right? That's the wisdom God gave Joseph during the time of Pharaoh. He said, there's going to come seven years of abundance. But if you don't steward those seven years of abundance properly, The seven years of famine that follow are going to eat up those seven years of abundance and it's going to ruin all the wealth of Egypt. You got to steward the abundance properly. There's a great phenomenon in our culture of individuals becoming wealthy and then becoming poor. I just read an article that tells the statistics of individuals who become wealthy athletes, celebrities, and then they become broke again. Evander Holyfield is broke now. Did you know that? He's broke. And he made over $100 million in his career. And now he lives in the ghetto again. Now, how, how do you make $100 million and go broke? It's easy. Spend $101 million. 
spend a hundred million and one dollar and you're broke. You know how people end up doing that? Because they have this season of abundance and they think it's going to stretch on for infinity. So instead of storing away, they say, I'm going to spend 120 million because I know I got another 20 million a year coming in. And what they don't realize is the bottom can fall out of that in a moment's notice. I mean, in a moment. But the ants, they never see abundance as an excuse for apathy. Let's just have a party. Right? No, they store away. I'm going to put my finger on something right now, and you're going to feel convicted. In a good way. How many of you have more than one copy of the the Holy Bible? You own more than one copy of the Holy Bible. Do you assume that you're always going to be allowed to keep that? Is it not possible for persecution of the church to ever come to America? What if now some of us, most of us have owned multiple copies of the Bible our entire lives. And even if we don't, we have access to it right at Barnes and Nobles down the street. Get a hotel room. There's one in the drawer. We have an abundance. We have so much access to scripture that we become apathetic towards it. We pull it out once in a while. Whenever we have a special need. And then we just, you know, open it. (laughs) We don't store any of it away. We don't store any of it away. We just treat it with contempt because we got so much of it. There's so much of that where I come from. You know, you got the big Pharisee King James Version white one on your coffee table. With letters this big. You know that big white one? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We used to have one of those, man. The big white one on the table, you know? But we don't store it away. We don't store it away. Why? We just think, well, there's just such an abundance of this. If I need to, I don't need to memorize it or store it away. Why? When I got 18 copies of it in 15 different versions. I, got, I can get online and get to the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic of it. So why do I need to store it away? It's written down for me. But David said, your word have I hidden in my heart. I've stewarded it in my heart. I've stored it away. I haven't assumed that I'm always going to have access to the written page. So I've hidden it in my heart. I've stored it up for a rainy day. If they take the written page from me, I'm ready for that because it's written on my heart. I've stored it up. I've recognized that whenever there's a season of abundance, God is looking for stewards in that season of abundance who will recognize abundance as an opportunity to prepare for lack. I'll tell you what, if they take the printed page from me tomorrow, I'm going to have just as much word tomorrow. There'll be no difference because it's hidden in my heart. Are you hearing me? Or what we've done is we've specialized that task into the professional ministry. So it's the professional preachers and teachers who are supposed to store away the word so they can preach it. Listen, I don't store it up so I can preach it. I store it up so I can live it. David said, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Not so that I'll have something to preach on Sunday. Matter of fact, the majority of what I, I hide in my heart, I never get a chance to preach it. But God is looking for those who will live it. Are you hearing me? Store it away. Answer, creatures of little strength. 
yet they store their food in the summer. And it's interesting, ants, I think, have a smaller brain than we do. But yet they just know, somehow they know that summer is time to work. That when there's an abundance, it's time to work, not rest. When there's an abundance, it's an opportunity for stewardship. Where, listen, whenever we get an abundance, you talk to most believers, they say, I just got a $5,000 tax return. Awesome. What are you going to do? That's the first thing we ask. What are you going to do? You just see the wheels turning in their head. Maybe I'm going to use it as a down payment to buy another car and get into more debt. I know I'll take the extra and use it to get into more debt. That's what I'm going to do. That way next month I'll have more that I owe than this month. That's what I'll do. I'll use it to climb into a deeper hole. That sound good? Or... I know what I'll do. I'll go on a vacation and then be broke. (laughs) But I'll have about five days of fun. (laughs) There's a particular person that, that was living month to month, barely making it, scraping by, and had a large sum of money come their way, a settlement. And I begged her, please invest it. Please, come on, we got to sit down and talk about a plan for that money so that you're not broke in a week. Please don't go buy a car. Please, please. If you buy a car, buy a little, you know, $1,000 car or something. You know, buy something that will get you from point A to point B. Steward it, please. She patted me on the shoulder. That's very thoughtful of you, Pastor. But I'm going to get mine. She came back in a brand new, fully loaded something or another, another vehicle that she paid cash for, went out and got some surgery, and was broke. <laughs> was broke. Was broke. And you know what happens at the end of the year? We say, God, why am I not blessed? I'll tell you why. Because you took your harvest and squandered it. You didn't steward it. You didn't recognize the opportunity of the day of abundance. Ants are small creatures, but they know how to build storehouses. They don't squander the increase of the summer. They store it away. I have such an urgency in my spirit about calling the people of God to learn how to build storehouses. I believe we are entering into a season that is like unto the season that Joseph brought Egypt into. There were seven years of abundance. I'm saying that there's a time of blessing and abundance coming, but it is not a season that is to be squandered. You must store it away. You must prepare. You must store it away and prepare. Build barns. Are you hearing me? Storehouses. Ants are creatures of little strength. Then it talks about the coney in the next verse. Coney. What's it say about the coney? Put it up on the screen. Now, when it's talking about the coney, it's talking about the hyrax or the, the, the hyrax or the, or the rock badger. The Middle Eastern rock badger. That creature was around during the time of Solomon, and it's still around today. But it shouldn't be. Hyraxes. What version is that? The what? 
That's the NIV. My NIV says conies. So that ain't no NIV. You ain't doing nothing but lying. But anyway, it is the hyrax. It is the hyrax or the rock badger, the Middle Eastern rock badger. And it says they're creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Now, here's, here's what it's talking about. The hyrax, this little badger, it's about 20 inches, a little less than two feet. They have absolutely no physical protection mechanism. Meaning if the rock badger was to get in a fight with another animal, it's, it's over. It can't, pre yeah, right, it becomes dinner. <laughs> right? I mean, it, you know, I mean, okay, so it's, it's like, it's toast. It's got, it doesn't have like, you know, like the hedgehog. When the hedgehog senses danger, it curls up into a ball and spikes come out in every direction. You can't eat a hedgehog. And so, you know, predators learn not to attack hedgehogs. Right? Or like the skunk. It just sprays you, you know, and just, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, wild animals are, are like counseling each other. Dude, stay away from skunks. You know, don't, you know, don't, you do not want to attack a skunk. No, take it from me, bro. I tried it once and it was not a good day. Okay? Right? No, the rock badger has no such protection mechanism. It's got nothing. But here's what the hyrax does. Number one, they stay in groups. Number two, they live in rocky places. And number three, they always have somebody standing guard looking out for predators. Everybody else is looking for food, but there's one sentry that's standing there looking out for predators. And whenever it sees a predator coming, it gives the call and the rest of them hide in the rocks. They all learn how to hide down in the crags of the rocks so that when the predators come, the predator can't get to them because it knows how to hide itself in the rock. The problem is believers are being devoured by the devil everywhere because we don't know how to hide in the rock. Are you hearing me? We don't know how to hide ourselves in the rock. And here's what tends to happen. We do have that one believer that's looking out for predators, but when it sees a pre when that believer sees a predator, he hides himself. <laughs> Don't let anybody else know. And here's, here's how that works. You get attacked with something. Do you let everybody in the church know? Hey, we got to watch out because Satan is attacking marriages. Get that off the screen. Don't nobody want to see that. Nobody asked for that. <laughs> Interrupting the flow of my anointment. <laughs> What the rock badger understands is that there's no such thing as an isolated attack. When a predator comes against one, he's coming against the whole crew. So when he sees a predator coming, he turns around and lets everybody know, run, hide, hide, get into the rock. The predator is coming to devour all of us. But for some reason, when a believer is attacked by the devil, we think it's an isolated attack. That attack's only coming against me. And so everybody says, well, where you been? How you doing? Oh, I've been struggling. What are you struggling with? Oh, I've just been struggling. I've just been struggling. It's a personal thing. It's never a personal thing. The devil wants to destroy the house, not just you. If the devil attacks your marriage, you need to jump up and warn all the married couples. It's time for us to hide in the rock because the devil's coming against our marriages. 
If the devil attacks your body, you need to turn around and warn the people. The devil is coming against our bodies. We need to hide in the rock. Whatever the devil comes at you with, you need to turn around and sound the alarm and let the people of God know that we need to hide ourselves in Christ the solid rock. I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Mm. Come on, somebody. They know how to hide in the rock. And that's why to this day, the rock badger, the hyrax, has never been an endangered species. Didn't Jesus say, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Even in the natural, we see that any creature that learns how to hide in the rock is impenetrable by the devil. Cannot be destroyed. Cannot be destroyed. Cannot be, and not afraid of any predators. You know, it's interesting. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know how, you, why is a lion bold? Because he has no known predators. <laughs> Lions just walk around the jungle. They're not worried. They're not looking around. He has no known predators. You know what? If we learn to stick together and hide ourselves in the rock, we can be as bold as lions. I'm not worried. All kinds of devils will come, but they can't touch me. I'm hidden in the rock. They can't touch us, but we have to learn how to do it together. And then thirdly, it says locusts have no king, but they advance in a troop. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. They got no king. There's no leader. Nobody's standing at the head, but they don't use that as an excuse to everybody do their own thing. They're still in perfect lines. What we find in the body of Christ, if somebody's not standing at the front yelling, everybody just decides we're going to do our own thing. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> the locusts say, no, 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 no. Everything depends. See, the thing about locusts is that they're, re- they're, they're relatively harmless. But the, the sheer force of their numbers and their togetherness, when a swarm of locusts comes, you almost can't see the sun. You can't see through them. They are so close to one another and so tight, it just looks like a wall of locusts. And they will destroy your entire... Now, if they just came one... What if one locust said, I'm going to attack that field? You could take that locust out with a fly swatter. Into that attack. That's it. But they come with such force... They come with such crew. We should do everything with crew. You know what I'm talking about? We should move together in ranks and it's, and there's no backbiting. No, why is he at the front of the line? How'd he get up there? I've been, I've been, I've been here longer than he's been here. How come he's up there at the front and I'm at the back? Well, wait a minute. He don't give as much as I do. Well, the last time we attacked a field, I ate, I ate more than he ate. How come he's... <laughs> He's in my seat. (laughs) Excuse me, this is my place. You know what drives me crazy? It's people who can't drive. You know what I'm talking about? Why is it it that if one car gets in front of you, it ruins your day? One car gets in... You know, yes, last night I'm driving home and there were two lanes. One of them was a merging lane. 
Now, why everybody had to be in the one lane and nobody got in the merging lane, I have no idea. That's their business. But my lane naturally flowed into the merging lane, so I decided to merge. Follow me here. As I merged, the car behind me that saw me about to get in front of him in the merging lane started honking at me as if I was cutting in front of him. And he honked at me and flashed his lights at me for about, there was nothing he could do. I'm going to merge. He's going to hit me, you know, hit my car, start causing an accident because I'm merging. So finally he had to stop. And I was like, where am I going to go? What am I supposed to do? I got to merge, right? And he's behind me flashing his lights and honking at me for about the next couple miles. And I thought, wow, it ruined your day that I'm in front of you. Just ruined your day. Somehow, I mean, this eight seconds that it slowed you down, the three seconds that it slowed you down just ruined your whole night. He's in the car flashing at me and honking. It just ruined your night that one person is in front of you. Isn't it like that in the body of Christ? One person gets in front of you. You know what? You should be helping people get in front of you. You should be helping. Come on, it can't slow me down. You can't stop me. The locusts don't care that somebody's in front of them because they know that we're going to take whole fields and all of us are going to eat our fill. It doesn't matter if I'm at the back of the line or the front of the line. All of us are going to get our fill. You've got to recognize that God has a destiny for everybody in the body of Christ. You don't have to fight your way into any place or any position. You don't have to fight for any recognition. God has his spot for you and no one can take it. You're hearing me. And so because of that, they move in ranks. They advance in ranks and they stay right in line. And they look to the person to the left and the person to the right. And they say, I need you and you need me. As long as we're together and I can feel you next to me and you can feel me next to you, we're going somewhere together. I'm not worried about you getting more than me because there's an abundance for all of us. You don't have to worry. There's an abundance for all of us. There's an abundance for all of us. This year, everybody is going to get their inheritance. All of you are going to get your harvest. All of you are going to get your increase. You don't have to worry about somebody being promoted ahead of you. Listen, nobody can be promoted ahead of you. We're being promoted together. When one person in the house gets promoted, the whole house gets promoted. Nobody's left behind. Nobody's left out. We got to rejoice together. We got to rejoice and we got to rejoice for one another. Are you hearing me today? And it's funny, locusts, I think they have smaller brains than we do. (laughs) But they get that. They get that. And it's funny, all three of the first three examples, the ant, the rock badger, and the locust, there's a corporate metaphor. Wisdom comes from the fact that they stay together. Ants, ants are organized, man. I mean, there's, a, there's always a trail. And a trail can stretch for miles. Those ants are just marching like soldiers, just marching up in your house. We may be little, but we don't care. We're coming to take over. And if you think you took us out, think again. Because we got more friends back at the crib. (laughs) They can't be taken out. Believers need to get rid of that inferiority complex. Oh, but we're just Christians and nobody likes us. How do you think ants feel? People constantly spraying raid at them. You know what? If it were believers in Jesus Christ, we would have stopped trying to break into people's houses. 
There wouldn't be a ant, there wouldn't be an ant in anybody's house. But the ants, I don't care how many times you disrupt their line, you spray raid and take out a whole bunch of the colony is preparing its next attack on your house as we speak. They will not be stopped. They will not be discouraged. They will not be taken out. They just believe that they are indestructible. They, you cannot stop us. We are going to survive, baby. If the church acted like that, we would have already reached the whole world for Jesus Christ. Oh, don't go there. We're talking about mission fields. Oh, don't go there. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Don't go there. Ants got no promise, but they ain't afraid to go anywhere. I tell you what, you go to North Korea, there's ants up in there. You go to Afghanistan, there's ants. They're not afraid of the Taliban. They're not afraid of nuclear weapons. They're not afraid, not afraid of nothing. Believers in Jesus Christ, oh, I don't want to go there. It's dangerous. But we got the spirit of God and the power of God and the kingdom of God and the promises. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We got to advance in troops. We should be sending wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of missionaries to the ends of the earth. Take us all out. We're preparing our next attack. We're sending our next wave of missionaries. We should be like ants. We should send armies of missionaries wherever we go. What do we get? One or two. <laughs> One. We're going to take Cambodia for Jesus. How many volunteers do we have? One. <laughs> what if the ants were like that? There's all kind of provision in this house. How many volunteers do we have to go? I'll go. Just one. One lone ant. <laughs> you hearing me? We got to see the whole world the way ants see a house. I don't care how big that house is. I'm going up in there. <laughs> We're going to find a way in. You ever wonder how ants get up in your house? How did you get in here? Where did you come in from? I mean, what? How is it possible? They just find their way into places. And that leads right into the fourth example. Lizards can be caught with the hand, but yet they're found in king's palaces. Lizards are just little. You know what I love? You watch lizards just be doing push-ups. I got to keep in shape, see? <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I'm going to be in shape when it's time to do it. I don't know where I'm going, but when I go there, I'm going to be in shape, see? I got to do, I got to, lizards, they just, what if we did that? Just be watching TV, just doing push-ups. You would stay in shape. <laughs> know what I'm talking about? <laughs> lizards, they can be caught with the hand, but yet they're found in king's palaces. You know why lizards are found in king's palaces? Because when they see a wall, they don't care if it's a prison or a palace. It's just a wall. See, I'm about to climb this wall. No, 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 don't climb that wall. Why? Because that's a palace and the king lives in there. Look, it's just a wall to me. I don't care if he's a king or a warden or a prisoner. If I want to go up in this house, I'm going in because it's just a wall. See, the thing about believers is we're respecters of persons and God isn't. And so you think certain things are off limits to you because of your background, because of your qualification. You think, well, that, that's a palace. It's just reserved for kings. I can't go up in there. Listen, God don't care if it's reserved for kings. He doesn't care if it's reserved for dignitaries. God, if he wants to, he'll put you at the table with the president of the United States. He does not care. When believers learn to think like lizards, you'll go apply for jobs that you're not qualified for. 
You'll go try to get into programs that it's impossible for you to get into. You'll go reach for things. You say, it's just a wall to me. It's just like any other wall. I'm going to climb this wall. When, when believers in Jesus Christ recognize that nothing's impossible for them, they break free of that sense of inferiority that says, well, this is off limits to me because of my background, because of my education, because of my experience, because I never did this. And so I'm not even going to try that because it's the king's palace is here. Listen, when, when, if believers just thought like lizards, you'd find believers who have no business being in king's palaces, sitting at the table with kings. You know, David understood this. David had no business being king of Israel. No business. He wasn't born into a royal lineage. First of all, he had no business fighting Goliath. Shepherds should not fight giants with slingshots. Can you imagine? I mean, it's like a little 12-year-old kid with a BB gun saying, I'm going to go to war against Iraq. That's what it was like. You don't belong on the battlefield. You got a BB gun. And David's sitting there with this BB gun. He said, I'm going to go kill that giant. You idiot. Get out of the way. You know, get back. Go bring me some cheese. You know, he came there to bring some cheese to the commander of the army. Bring that cheese. Cut the cheese. Slice it. Put it on some crackers for me. Give me some salami. (laughs) No, David said, no, no, no. I'm going to kill this giant with my BB gun. David didn't care how small he was. He didn't care how weak his BB gun was. He didn't care that he didn't have any skills. The only thing he saw was that there was a giant that was taunting the the army of the living God. And he was not going to stand by and let his God be taunted. He said, I'm sorry, my BB gun is small, but my God is big. And there's no way anything is big enough to taunt my God. I will not submit God to a spirit of fear. The kingdom of God cannot, listen, the kingdom of God is within you. And when you submit to fear, you are submitting the kingdom of God to a spirit of fear. And the thing you need to understand is that the kingdom of God will not follow you into the, into the, the pig's pen. The scripture said that the kingdom left Nebuchadnezzar and then he began to eat with the animals. He began to eat grass with the animals. The kingdom, if you're going to eat grass with the animals, the kingdom will not follow you there. The kingdom departed from him. And the same thing happened with the prodigal son. He came to a census, meaning he had lost his understanding. The kingdom had departed from him. The inheritance of his father did not operate in the pig's pen. When you go into the pig's pen of fear, the kingdom of God will not operate there with you. you got to get up and come out of that pig's pen of fear, and the kingdom will come back on you. And when the kingdom comes on you, there's nothing impossible to you. I was talking to a, a brother recently, and he was telling me about his his career and about his experiences. And he has this high level, high paying position with a a huge company. And and he was telling me, he said, man, they made me the administrator over an account of over an, over an $800 million portfolio. He said, but here's the key. I don't have a college degree. (laughs) He said, I didn't even have a background in finance. I didn't have any experience in financial analysis. But they gave me this, and he, and he said, and I'm black. He said, people with my skin color are not put in charge of this kind of stuff. Said, How did you get there? How did you do it? He said, I just didn't think there was any reason why not. So I wouldn't apply. <laughs> why not? I'm a son of the king of kings and lord of Why will he not provide for me? He said, I just believe people are going to give me stuff wherever I go. When I look at, I don't think, you know, oh, this guy is, no, he's a man. 
You know, he's a man. He passes gas like everybody else. <laughs> he's married. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Caroline. He's married. <laughs> he's taken. <laughs> Lizards have no respect for one wall over another. It's just a wall. Just a wall. You've lived for too long with a sense of impossibility. Impossibility should not be a part of your vocabulary. It shouldn't even be in your thought processes. Well, that wall is too high. I don't care. God does not care. There is no wall that's too high. The, The people of Israel, they won their first battle by marching around a wall and worshiping, and the wall fell down. God is able to make walls fall down in front of you. And it doesn't matter how high God is able to put you in places that you have no business being to put you in the company of people that you have no business being in the company of, but you got to start by thinking like the lizard. You got to start by thinking like the ant, by thinking like the crony, by thinking like the locusts. They're small, but they're wise. And how are they wise? They don't see their smallness as an excuse. And they don't see their smallness as a lack of greatness. They're small, but they do not believe themselves to be insignificant. God is coming this morning to break that inferiority complex off of you. It is not your lack of destiny or favor that has kept you out. It is your lack of faith. And it is not even your lack of faith in who God is because you believe God to be great and everything else. But you do not believe that that greatness has any effect on you because you still think you're weak and little and poor and insignificant. And the fact of the matter is you don't recognize that that's an affront against God. Because what you're saying is, God, I know you're great and significant, but what you created is weak, miserly, insignificant, and small. Listen, I'm telling you that a great and significant God does not create anything weak, miserly, insignificant, and small. And matter of fact, Jesus proved it. He gathered 12 misfits, called them his disciples, country bumpkins who had been rejected by every other rabbi in Israel. You know what happened when you graduated from high school and you were a Jewish boy? You went and applied for college. It's called discipleship under a rabbi. And if you got rejected by the rabbis, you went back and served your family business. You know, you became fishermen and tax collectors. Whatever your father did, that's what you did. Where did Jesus go to get his 12 disciples? He didn't go to the academies. He went to the rejects. He says, I'm going to gather the ones that nobody else wants, the ones who think they're insignificant, the ones who think they're small, and I'm going to take the weak things of this world and I'm going to confound the strong. I'm going to take the base things and confound the wise. I'm going to take the things that are not and use them to nullify the things that are. Why? Because when God gets done taking you and making you significant for his kingdom when he gets done you're going to look back on it and say that had to be god that wasn't me that wasn't my education that wasn't my experience that wasn't my expertise that was god and the only wisdom you need is the wisdom to know that god doesn't make any junk You don't even need financial wisdom. You don't need to know plans and you don't need wisdom and technology. The only wisdom you need to know is simply to believe God has a significant plan for my life. And so I'm going to reach for it. I'm going to open my eyes every day and say, God, show me your plan. 
And whatever he shows me, I'm going to believe it's significant and I'm going to steward it. And here's the key. Sometimes God says, okay, you want to begin? Let's begin. What I want you to do is spend this much time in prayer every day, 30 minutes, whatever, an hour. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin. He'll give you something little, some little instruction. This is all I want you to do. Little instruction. I want you to go to school and study this. I want you to work at this job. That's it. Just be a janitor there. Whatever it is. It might seem small, small and insignificant. And we think, well, Lord, when you give me something large and significant, then I'll do it. (laughs) Then I'll do it. Right? Why is your car so junky? Well, as soon as I get a new car and it's a big one, then I'll start washing it. Why is the grass in your front yard six feet high? Well, when I moved to a better neighborhood. (laughs) Funny thing was, you know, I went by a house yesterday in this neighborhood. It was a pretty beat up neighborhood. But this one woman, you know, there was just this little strip of grass in between the street and the sidewalk. Just, a, you know, little strip of grass. And in front of everybody's house, the grass was withered and dry and dead. But hers, I mean, it was literally like two feet of grass. It was manicured. And she was out there spraying pesticides and, you know, cut, clipping away. She was manicuring it. I was like, that's incredible. I mean, it was, it was lush. It was green. You would have thought, now, you know, you and I would have never looked at that little tiny two feet of grass and thought, I'm going to steward this. She treated it like she had a huge lawn where kids could have picnics. It was two feet of grass and it was the, it was, I mean, in the entire neighborhood. Say, what are you doing? She said, oh, I'm, I'm treating my lawn. I treat my lawn. That's a lawn. That's two feet of grass. You put that in a smoothie at, 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 at Jamba Juice. You know? She was proud of it. She was out there smiling. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Steward the small things. You got to treat the small things like they're intensely significant. That is the wisdom of the kingdom. What are the mustard seeds that God's put in your life? The mustard seeds that you think are insignificant, you just brush over, recognize that mustard seed and steward it. Steward it in your life right now. You don't need anything to happen. You don't need to wait for a big bang. Too many believers have been living by the big bang theory. When I win the lottery, then I'll start tithing. You think a big bang is coming. Listen, get that out of your head. Forget the big bang. You know what? If you save $100 a month at the end of the year, that's a big bang. Are you hearing me? You take a bunch of small bangs. Every time you put that little bang in your account, it, you see a bang. Put it in your savings account, bang. At the, end of the mo- at the end of the year, you look at that statement, bang. Five years, it's an even bigger bang. Ten years, it's an even bigger bang. And in the process, God will see that you can steward the small things. And he says, now I'm going to increase your stewardship. Now I'm going to make you master of much. Why? Because you did not see the small thing as an insignificant thing, but you stewarded it. You stewarded even that one little talent that I gave you. Moses delivered Israel by stewarding a stick. One day I'm going to write a book called The Stewardship of the Stick. God said, hold up that stick. He said, here's my stick. He said, with that, you're going to smite the Egyptians and deliver Israel. Now steward that. Now steward the stick. Steward it. 
When I tell you to throw it down in Pharaoh's presence, you throw it down. When I tell you to stretch it out over the Nile, you stretch it out. When I tell you to point it at the heavens, you point it at the heavens. When I tell you to stretch it out over the Red Sea, you stretch it out over the Red Sea. You're going to steward that stick. The, understanding the stewardship of the stick. The stick is the little thing that God has put in your hand that you think it wasn't a magic wand. It was just a stick. He found it on the ground. It wasn't a well-crafted cane. It was a stick that he had found on the ground. He was using it to hit the sheep. God said, that stick, it's now the rod of God. Why? Because you gave it to me. Give him the stick. Steward the stick. And it'll become the rod of God. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, I speak strength and encouragement to your people right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Strength encouragement, and I break off that power of disillusionment. I break off that power of discouragement. Father, the greatest scourge against the body of Christ is discouragement. The greatest hindrance to revival is discouragement. The greatest hindrance to your blessing, to your favor, and increase is discouragement. Your people have become hopeless about the little thing. Hopeless that I've sown and sown and sown and sown and I've reaped nothing. I've labored and labored and labored and all my labor is in vain. It's all come to nothing. I rebuke that lie of the devil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I release supernatural encouragement, supernatural encouragement. And I say, this is the season. This is the season for you to rise up and lay claim to your harvest. It is harvest time, but the harvest will not come unless you go and gather it. You're going to have to gather that harvest. And how do you gather it? You gather that harvest by stewardship, by stewarding the small thing that the Lord has given you and believing that it's not insignificant. It's, I don't care if you're saying, saving $5 a month. It's not insignificant. I don't care if you've got 10 minutes to give to God to come serve a ministry. It's not insignificant. I don't care if you're spending 15 minutes in prayer every day. It's not insignificant. I don't care if you're memorizing one scripture a day. It's not insignificant. One scripture that you hide in your heart. You do that every day for a year. You've, you've hidden 365 verses. In 10 years, it's 3,650. It's a stewardship it starts off small, but it becomes significant. It becomes great. You're not going to despise the day of small beginnings. And you're not going to fail to recognize the opportunity of the day of abundance. We are entering into the day of abundance and you have many harvests throughout the year, but you're going to recognize the significance of them. And you're going to use them to gather, to gather, to gather. It's gathering time. It's gathering time. Seed time and harvest. Do not be weary in well-doing. You will reap a harvest in due time if you do not lose heart. Be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is not in vain. It is not in vain. What you have committed to God is not in vain. What you've given to him is not in vain. Your stewardship is not for nothing. It is not for nothing. And many of you have gone through a season in 2011 and in 2010 and even in 29 where you felt like you'd lost everything that you had worked for. You felt like everything was taken away. But God says, I'm going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But you've got to break free from that hopelessness and that despair. You've got to break free from that discouragement and that disillusionment. And you've got to rise up in supernatural encouragement. And when God encourages you, you've got to steward that encouragement. You got to steward it all week long. You got to steward the word of the Lord. You got to steward it. Don't squander it. Don't allow the enemy to take it back. Some of you wake up in the morning and already you feel discouraged. You got to stop and judge that and say, no, this is not right.
This is not right. I'm not going to let this linger another moment. The first thing you do, get on your knees, get in the word and make a decision. I'm going to receive supernatural encouragement. I'm going to reject the discouragement of the enemy. And I'm going to walk in faith today. I'm going to walk in power today. And I'm going to walk in fullness today. Father, I speak your blessing over your people right now in the name of Jesus. Just receive it. Receive it full. Receive it full. Receive it full. Supernatural encouragement. This is your day. This is your season. This is your time. This is your time. You waited. Some of you have waited decades for this. God says the time is now. The time is now. You've waited so long. You've worked so hard. It all seems to have come to nothing. I say it was not for nothing. Even when you didn't know how to reap your harvest, God was doing something in you. It was not lost. The scripture says in all labor, there is profit. In everything you've given to the Lord, there's never any loss. We don't even have to know how to gather it and God still brings increase. There's never any loss. There's never any loss. But now God's going to teach you how to gather it. Now God's going to teach you how to lay hold of that increase. Father, I speak blessing. I speak strength. And I speak encouragement. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. It is finished. It is done. God bless you. We're dismissed. Church 101 is going to start right here at 2 p.m. God bless you.